My name is Leroy Larry and welcome. Natural physics will explain in down-to-earth scenarios how the principles of physics could have come about from observing nature. Each episode begins with a scenario followed by an example to illustrate the application of these principles in futuristic research at the frontiers of science, such as my astrophysics research, and then concludes with an exploration of how these same principles could have very well been used by ancient cultures and civilizations. Mathematics is naturally encountered and incorporated as the exciting and fun tool of science that it is. Science is the window into our amazing world of nature and mathematics is the tool to open that window. Natural physics encompasses current, futuristic, and ancient physics and ties them together by the principles of physics that are common threads running throughout each. Greetings, I'm Leroy Larry and welcome to Natural Physics, live from Costa Rica. My guest today is Mariela Bonilla. Hello, Mariela. Hello, can you hear me now? Oh, yes, you're with us, right on. <coughs> Great. Excuse me. How you All doing, right. Leroy? Doing good, how you doing? Great, I'm great. <laughs> All right, now I wanna start the show with uh, last episode or maybe the one before that you asked me what did it say in that book that i read in high school about the spheres and at the time i showed a photograph of the sphere and read the little caption but i went got the book and found the area where it actually talks about the spheres so i would like to read that i mean this is from 1972 i was a high uh sophomore in high school and uh Actually, no, it was 1971. Yeah, and I was a, a sophomore in high school. And once again, awesome. uh, this, was this was before I took uh, physics. And you, you know, back in the prehistoric ages, <laughs> when I was in high school, the way it normally went was your freshman year, your ninth grade, you took what was called physical science, which was basically learning about laboratory equipment, uh, beakers and test tubes and lithium paper and how to do graphs and, and, and whatnot. And then your sophomore year, you would take biology. Your junior year, you would take chemistry. And, and like I said before, my, my high school in Omaha offered physics for the first time in my senior year of high school. But mind you, when I came across this book, I had not yet had biology, chemistry, and certainly not physics. So uh, the book caught my eye and here, let me show it. Okay, this is it. It's called Gods from Outer Space. Uh, Gods from Outer Space. I can, I can see it. Okay, see it and actually, and I mentioned that the author had done a previous book called Chariots of the Gods. This is what, this is what it looks like. Um, I don't know why I'm having such a rough time navigating. Oh, th there we go. Okay. Oh, you know what? My screen has a little bit of a delay. So when I move, it takes a second or two for the action to actually show up on my screen. So, so this is what was the author's first book. And as I said before, it was a sensation, international sensation. He had a lot of far out ideas about how uh, al aliens had contacted the human race in ancient times, and he traveled around the world 
collecting evidence to support his theories. What fun, huh? <laughs> what fun. So the book, the book came out in 1968. The copyright is 1968. And, and as I said, I read it in 1971. And I'm thinking what caught my attention as a 15-year-old was the title Gods from Outer Space. And being that I was into comic books, Marvel, DC, I mean, comic books are, they're just full of characters from other planets, right? From outer space, aliens and whatnot. And I mean, when you think about it, Mariella, Thor, the god of thunder, the Norse Viking god of thunder, who is actually, or is actually one of the Marvel comic book characters, he's a Norse god. Right? From, mm -hmm. a, from the Norse mythology and in the comic books, Asgard, which is where he lives and the other Asgardians, it's kind of portrayed as in outer space, like, uh, mm -hmm. like, another, like another plant. I'm not going to let my mouth get dry. <laughs> um, I, so I love so, your, your bluff. Thank, oh, you know, by the way, everybody, <laughs> speaking of Marvel, <laughs> We got we got the Avengers, <laughs> yeah. right? You got there's hey, speaking of Mariella, thank you. Perfect prop. Perfect. I didn't even think about it. There's Thor right there. The god of thunder, right? Yeah. Okay. And then you also have other characters on here. Captain America, Hulk, right. Iron Man, right? So point is is that in Marvel comic books, here you have this mythical Norse god portrayed as a superhero, right? And right. he's an alien. He's an alien, right? And when you think about it, when you really think about it, Superman is an alien. You know, we don't think of him as that, right? Because, hey, Superman. Superman's been around, what, since the 1939s, I think? And, I mean, Superman, one of us. But, hey, the dude is from Krypton, another planet, uh -huh. in another stellar system, right? He's an alien. Mm -hmm. So right. once right. so once again, uh, I think I think my background with comic books caught that's what got my attention with the title "Guys from Outer Space." So what I would like to do, and everybody, this is not going to become a story corner on natural physics, huh? We we got a few documents mm -hmm. that we want to go through today, and we're going to read from them, and we will try our right. best not to make this so painful. It'll never happen again. There's reasons why we're reading it. The reason why I'm gonna read out of here is because this is from 1968. And remember, mm -hmm. uh, we, we, we hadn't even been to the moon yet, which, which was the following year, Apollo 11, 1969. And, uh, and, and, and the, the, the discovery of other planetary systems what 1992 or so so here we go let me i'm gonna find okay here's the photograph <clears throat> there's the sphere okay thank you ray all knowing all seeing ray thanks ray <laughs> okay <laughs> and as you can see thanks to ray the caption well i'll read the caption it says that the stone ball diameter seven feet one inch stands outside a building in San Jose, Costa Rica as a decoration. So uh, many of the spheres, as y'all know, were removed from their original positions. 
and right. put in the front of wealthy or uh, public figures or, or so. And, and uh, my sphere, my sphere that I call it, is on the campus of the University of Costa Rica. So now I would like to read uh, uh, to you just a little bit about what was written about the Costa Rica spheres in 1968. Okay, here we go. Uh, okay, here we go. But the real archeological sensation in the ball line awaits its solution in the small Central American state of Costa Rica. There hundreds, if not thousands, of artificial stone balls lie about in the middle of the jungle and on high mountains, in river deltas, and on hilltops. Their diameters vary between a few inches and eight feet. The heaviest ball excavated to date weighs eight tons, station, and because of it, I spent 10 days in Costa Rica, a typical developing country that has so far been shunned by the vast mass of tourists. My journey turned out to be anything but a pleasure trip, but all the hardships were richly rewarded by what I saw. Now remember everybody, this is the first time I'm reading this since I was 15 years old and I don't remember reading it then. Okay, 50 years later. How cool creepy is that? And I'm reading it on my on our show, Natural Physics, huh? I mean, what the energy there is unreal. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Thank you, Mariella. All right, here we go. The first balls I came across were lying around in flat country for no apparent reason. Then I found several groups of balls on the tops of hills. Some always lay in the center of the hill's longitudinal axis. I waded through the mud of a riverbed and found great groups of balls in strange formations that were unintelligible, although they must have been deliberate. 45 balls have been lying in the burning sun of the white hot DQ plain since time immemorial. Mariella, did I did I pronounce DQ correctly? Where? D the the the, the, de the delta. Oh, Dicas. Delta Dicas. Dicas. I was saying DQ right. okay. Dicas. Thank you, Mary. Okay. Dicas. Forty-five uh -huh. balls. Forty-five balls have been lying in the burning sun of the white hot Dicas. Plain Dickies plain since time since time immemorial. Have they something to say that we were or are incapable of understanding? In order to satisfy my curiosity to see and photograph the balls near Piedras Blancas, southeast of the River Coto, also in Costa Rica, we had to spend a whole day in a Land Rover to cover a distance of only 60 miles. Time and again, we had to remove obstacles from the track, pull the Land Rover out of ruts, and grind around innumerable bends. Finally, our vehicle would take us no further. Bubba, Boo-Boo rather, is spelled B-U-B-U, Boo-Boo, a half-breed who was guiding us 
ran ahead of us for an hour and cleared the way of creatures. Without his precautions, we should twice have run into spider webs of a size you simply cannot imagine. The poisonous bite of these loathsome creatures can be fatal. All right, so even though he called Boo Boo a half-breed, it's cool that he gave him credit, right, for helping them uh, get safely through. All right, okay, and this was 1968. And by the way, Eric Von Donegan, I think, is German. Uh, not sure. Here's another thing where I'm doing off the cuff, but German, Swiss, anyway, European. Okay, here we go. At last, we stood before two enormous balls, both taller than we were, in the midst of the virgin forest. It was precisely because the stones near Piedras Blancas lay deep in the jungle that I had wanted to see them with my own eyes. It is said that these balls are only a few hundred years old. A few hundred years old, right? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> okay. No one, no one who has stood there as I have could believe that. Thank you, Eric. Okay. The jungle itself is primeval, and I am convinced that the balls must have lain there before the luxuriant, the luxuriant vegetation began to thrive. Today, we have managed to transplant Abu Simbel to another site using all kinds of modern machinery, but I doubt whether we could deposit balls like these in a primeval forest. See, he's starting to wonder, hey, how did these, how did these spheres get deposited in the forest like this? Okay, I saw still more balls in Costa Rica. 15 giant balls lie in a dead straight line in Golfo Dolce. I found 12 balls near the village of Uvita, north of the Sierra Bruncuda. I hope I'm not just murdering, just totally jamming the, the pronunciation on these words. I mean, totally damage them no, beyond great. repair. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> no, it's fine, it's great. Okay. Four balls have been excavated from the muddy bed of the river, of the river Esquina. There are two balls on Cameronal Island and several balls on the summit of the Cordillera Brunqueda in the neighborhood of the river Diqui. Mm -hmm. Most of these mysterious balls are made of granite or lava. There is little chance nowadays of finding out the exact number of stone balls that once existed. Today, many fine specimens decorate gardens and parks and public buildings. Since one ancient saga, yes. He says that the spheres were made from lava. Yes. My country, well, Costa Rica is surrounded, well, not surrounded, has plenty volcanoes. That's right. And I don't know if you if you know exactly the story, but uh, for example, if you know a mountain, probably that mountain is a volcano, and we don't know. You so know, that means uh, that you know for the for the square. No, and 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 one of his hypotheses is that the spheres is made with lava which is interesting it is is thank you for pointing that out 
Thank you, because um, the documentation I've read about the uh, makeup of the spheres, I don't actually think I've come across them or the documentation actually saying lava. I mean, they talk about granite and other rocks, and they talk about that there's evidence that in the, or, uh, in the interior of some of the spheres uh, at the atomic level, their structure uh, indicates uh, a crystalline-like structure. So what that means is uh, there's, a, there's a new field in physics uh, called uh, crystalline technologies. And what it involves is using structure to uh, pump energy into, because I guess a crystalline structure is very uh, accessible in terms of depositing energy into it and getting energy back. But so, yeah, I, I don't think I've come across the lava deal. So thank you for, thank you for pointing that out. And, and, uh, and, and Costa Rica being a square area of 51, thousand one hundred square kilometers there's a huge number of volcanoes in in such a small area huh mariella totally right mm -hmm. and and from where i live in huachipilin i can actually look off my balcony and see mm -hmm. irazu mm -hmm. barva and poas mm -hmm. right and and, mm -hmm. and turiaba I can't see Turiaba because it's behind Irazu, but get this, Mariella, and we'll get back on track in a minute, everybody. Uh, back in 2014, I think, I had come home and there was this darkish dust on, on the balcony and I didn't know what it was, right? And, and I noticed earlier in the day that the sky looked kind of funky. I mean, it was a funky color, right? I mean, it was really kind of a orange, it was a real orangish, kind of dust kind of color, right? So uh, my our neighbor t tells me that that's volcanic ash, that Turiaba right. had erupted, and that was the ash. So, oh, I collected some of it, put it in a jar, still have it. Yeah, uh, yes, really? yes, indeed. And and for my sick, you, you just had a birthday on July 4th, correct? Right, right. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yay! Right on! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> now here goes old dude. On my 60th birthday, I went to, uh, my wife and I, we went to Poas, and that was mm -hmm. our first time going to a volcano ever. And then after uh -huh. that, we went to, uh, about the next year, we went to Razu. And, but yeah, there's, oh, there's so many volcanoes here. Okay, let, let's get back to this, everybody. All right, here we go. Um, okay, lava, lava, lava. Uh, um, I'm looking for okay, most of the mysterious balls are made of granite or lava. There is little chance nowadays of finding out the exact number of stone balls that once existed. Today, many fine specimens decorate gardens and parks and public buildings. Since one ancient saga also related that gold could be found in the middle of the balls, many of them have been hacked to bits with hammer and chisel. A strange thing is that there are no quarries for producing the balls anywhere near 
the sites where they have been found. As in other places, any trace that could lead us back to the manufacturers is missing. In other words, what he's saying when he says, as in other places, for example, the Great Pyramids, you know, they, they can trace where those blocks came from. Hey, it's still amazing that they could transport those huge, on average, two-ton blocks that were used to build the Great Pyramid, but they can trace it back to a quarry that's miles and miles and miles away. So he's saying that there is no trace that would lead them back to where these spheres could have been manufactured. Okay. During the clearing of woods and swamps at the foot of the Cordillera Brunqueta in the Rio de Quay district in 1940 and 1941, the archaeologist Doris Z. Stone, female archaeologist, everybody, right on. Doris Z. Stone discovered several. The reason why I'm mentioning her is because if we get to it, those, those uh, three PDFs that we uh, showed last episode, this time we're, really, we're gonna go through them because there's some parts that are totally related to what we're doing here on our show in terms of trying to um, recover the, not, the lost knowledge connected with the spheres. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, Leroy, uh, what's uh, Doris' last name? Stone, S-T-O-N-E. Stone, Dor uh-huh. Dor okay. Doris, Doris, and her initial is Z, as in zebra. Doris Z okay. Stone. Okay, so in, in 1940 and 1941, the archaeologist Doris Z Stone discovered several artificial stones. She wrote a detailed account of them that closes with the resigned remark, quote, the balls of Costa Rica must be numbered among the unsolved megalithic puzzles of the world, unquote. Okay, 1940, 1941. All right. In fact, we do not know who made the stone balls. We do, not, we do not know what tools were used for the work. We do not know for what purpose the balls were cut out of, out of the granite. And we do not know when they were made. Everything that archaeologists say today, which is, remember, is 1968, everything that archaeologists say today in explanation of the Indian balls, or sky balls, as the natives call them, is pure speculation. A local legend says that each ball represents the sun, an acceptable interpretation. But the archaeologists reject this version because in these latitudes, the sun has been represented in all ages as a golden orb, wheel, or disc, and never as a ball, neither among the Incas, Mayas, nor Aztecs. Okay? Mainstream archaeologists, right? Here we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> One thing is quite certain. The stone balls cannot have originated without mechanical help. They are perfectly executed, absolutely spherical, with smoothly polished surfaces. Archaeologists who have, who have investigated the balls of Costa Rica confirm that none of them 
deviates in the slightest from a given diameter. This precision implies that the men, and I'm going to inject here the men and the women who made them have a good knowledge of geometry and possess the appropriate technical implements. Mm -hmm. How if come? The yeah. <laughs> yes. How come? <laughs> Is that what, that's what you said, right? How come? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. If the stone masons had first buried the raw material in the earth, now, I actually thought about this one, everybody, but you know, it's a boring theory to think, oh, okay, they just figured out where they wanted to build the spheres and then, or actually where they wanted to place them, and then they would build them there on the spot so they don't have to move them. But oh, no, not only is that kind no. of mundane and boring, but they had to move them around to be able to, to be a lunar calendar, okay, to be right. able to predict. Yes, yeah, so, okay, so here we go. If the stonemasons had first buried the raw material in the earth and then worked on the protruding section, unevenness and inaccuracies would inevitably have resulted because the distances to the, to the parts stuck in the ground could no longer have been checked. Oh, that's an excellent point. Excellent point. Okay. This primitive procedure is out of the question. The raw material must have been transplanted from somewhere because there are no nearby quarries. And that alone must have been very arduous. In addition, the stone blocks must have been broken out or cut out of the rock. My conclusion is that many workers were engaged in the task for a long time and that they possessed tools which made possible such perfect stone dressing. Mariella, this goes back to the lead archeologist at the National Museum here telling you that there was special instruments that were involved in the manufacture of the spheres. Right. Mm -hmm. Right Probably on. Stone tools. Okay. In these PDFs, when we get to them, because we're going to kind of scroll through them, I think they show the possibility of what these instruments might have look, looked at. We'll, we'll see. Okay. All right. Even if all this is accepted, it still does not explain why the finished balls were rolled to a particular site. For example, the top of a mountain. Okay, now, see, I didn't know that. I didn't know that some of the balls were actually rolled uphill <laughs> to the top of a mountain. Yeah. You know, to, I didn't know that. I mean, I, I was thinking all pretty much horizontal action to, to roll them or, and you know, we've been talking about the, the different methods, right. but I, or, or even down, uh, even downhill, but uphill. Oh right. my goodness. Okay. Here we go. All right. <laughs> this just gets better and better, doesn't it? Okay. All right. So, um, okay. My conclusion is that many workers were engaged in the task for a long time and that they possessed, 
okay, I'm sorry. I, I went back a little bit. Let's, let's get back to where we were. Okay. Even if all this is accepted, it still does not explain why the finished balls were rolled to a particular site, for example, the top of a mountain. What an absurd idea, and what a tremendous expenditure of labor, exclamation point. However, an explanation is given, though it only seems suitable for the most superficial kind of guidebook. The gigantic balls were rolled down riverbeds. I should laugh at such naivety. Ooh, I like that word, at such naivety. If the problem involved, if the problem involved were not so serious to me, the massive heavy balls would simply have stuck in the muddy and in parts great, great gravelly riverbeds. Excellent point. Excellent point. One irritating fact, which I cannot have altered in the course of the ages, confronts the holders of the riverbed theory. Between the granite mountains in which the material for the majority of the balls must have been quarried and the sites where the balls were found in the Dekeet Delta, the steaming jungle extends far and wide, and the three small rivers that exist are considerable obstacles to transporting material on such a scale without deep-loading lorries cranes, and special freight ships. And if these barriers were not enough, when seen from the granite cliffs, most of the balls lie on the far side of the Rio de Key, exclamation point. In other words, the forwarding agents would have had to conjure the material over this barrier too. I have noticed that whenever archeologists and he's talking about mainstream archeologists, everybody, the narrow-minded scientists that exist in all areas of science, astrophysics, archeology, span doesn't matter. And you know, I always thought, which is one of the appeals of science to me, was that scientists are supposed to be the, the most open-minded, flexible, uh, thinking people. But to the contrary, Sometimes they turn out to be the most narrow-minded, unwilling to uh, accept new theories. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So, okay, so here he goes. He says, totally, huh, Mario? Yeah, unreal. So he says that I have noticed that whenever archaeologists cannot explain gigantic feats of transport, they have recourse to the so-called rolling theory. But this is pitifully inadequate when one sees the giant balls on the tops of mountains. Yeah, right. You know, what he's talking about, the rolling deal, let me just wet my whistle for a second. Sure, but let's you know, recall something. We're yes. talking about the spheres made by, by indigenous. Yes. But he's saying... He's saying giant, the giant. No, balls. no, he's he's saying that the balls are giant, that they're huge. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. not. But you know what, Mariella? One of the myths I came across uh -huh. though was that the spheres were called I forget which which name of the god, 
but they were called the the like the bowling balls of this god in other words this god used these fears to play with right just throw them around willy-nilly right so i have read yeah so but yeah he's saying that he's saying that uh how could these giant balls yeah when he says but this is pitifully inadequate when one sees the giant balls on the tops of mountains he's saying how did these indigenous people he calls them indians right uh how did they push the balls up on a mountain and he says so you got your archaeologist said oh they use logs and they place them in front and they and you know why i'm saying this is because one of the theories about how the giant blocks were were transported Mm -hmm. to build the the pyramids of egypt was that you had a thousand or more so slaves that uh used logs to roll these blocks along the ground right and 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 so yeah so that's what he's talking about right now that yeah i mean that's that's one of the theories that rolling the logs were uh rolling on the logs were involved okay so he goes he says uh an expert has told me that at least 24 tons of raw material are needed to make a stone ball weighing 16 tons let me repeat that that's quite a statistic an expert has told me that at least 24 tons of raw material raw you know he's talking about raw granite are needed to make a stone ball weighing 16 tons so he's saying that if you start out with a boulder like your boulder on the beach mariella your beautiful exquisite uh boulder that you that you had your demonstration he's saying that Uh after that if you have a boulder like that that about eight tons of it is going to be removed right in the chipping or whatever was done to make it into a perfect sphere it's going to go from on average 24 24 tons of raw granite material in in any kind of a shape imaginable down to a 16 ton stone ball oh that's unreal wow okay in view of the large numbers of balls one can roughly guess what masses of raw material must have been moved about here in the past in other words now now would you think of this okay we see the spheres right my sphere we just using our mathematics and physics determined that it's around 10 tons but what he's saying is wherever this sphere was found the raw material that it was that it took to make it was much more right so if 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 for example you go from 24 down to uh 16 tons eight tons then that's saying that my 10 ton sphere possibly started out as an 18 ton boulder that somebody carved it down by some way into a 10 ton sphere wow so in other words a much heavier object had to be transported to the spot where that sphere was found or unless they carved them and then moved them okay but he he brings up a good point if you're going to have a sphere located on a certain spot you're going to have to bring that raw material to that spot anyway right so there you go okay 
I didn't know it was going to take this long or to read this material. Giant, or, or the giant put the spheres on that place. True that. Okay, here we go. In view, um, yeah, in view of the large number of balls, one can roughly guess what masses of raw material must have been moved about here in the past. I had seen the miraculous world of the stone balls and convinced myself of their disturbing existence. Ooh, their disturbing existence. In other words, science can't put a finger on why they even exist, how they exist. Okay. Now, I wanted to try to find the solution of this puzzle as well. But when I asked the coaster the origin and meaning of the stone balls, I met silence and suspicion. Why are you asking about our balls? I, this is me saying it. Why are you asking about our balls, foreigner from the East, no, the West, Europe? <laughs> Why do you want to know? Okay, okay, I met with silence and suspicion. Although visited by missionaries and quote, enlightened, unquote, by continuous economic contacts with the West, with Europe, with America. That's me saying that, Europe. He says the West. That means Europe, America. The natives remain superstitious in their heart of hearts. So poetic, isn't he? Their heart of hearts. Okay. <laughs> this is a trip reading this. Oh, it really is. Okay. Two archaeologists whom I questioned in the Museo Nacional of Coast of San Jose. I wonder if it's your arch I wonder if it's the lead archaeologist. One of them is the lead archaeologist. This is 19 uh well, you figure. He did the research for this book many years prior, but if this came out in 1968, I wonder if the, the lead archaeologist, who's the author of, I don't think we're going to get to those uh, PDFs today, everybody, but that's okay. But he's the author of the two, and he's the authority on the sphere. So I'm wondering if he's one of these two archaeologists that uh, Van Donegan uh, refers to. Okay, so he says, two archaeologists whom I questioned in the Museo Nacional of San Jose, explained that the creation of the balls was connected, oh, get this, everybody, was connected with a star cult. A star cult. Perhaps, too, with calendar representations. Ooh. And possibly with religious or magic signs. I needed away patiently because these explanations did not satisfy me. But finally, had to realize that the mystery of the balls was taboo to them. Ooh, taboo. Not to be spoken about. You remember, Mariella, when you said that there's a possibility that the Baruka, uh, the elders have told others not to uh, divulge any knowledge. Right. Hmm. Mm -hmm. mm, right? Okay. Taboo. For some reason, incomprehensible to me. We're coming to the end, everybody. As the archaeologists could not or would not 
help any further, I tried asking some of the Indians. Trained by my acquaintance with natives in many countries. Oh, he's trained with communicating with the natives. Oh, give me a break. Okay, you know, Europeans. Ah, okay. <laughs> Getting in trouble here. Okay. Trained by my acquaintance with natives, with natives in many countries, I soon sensed that they were afraid of something as soon as the conversation came around to the balls. Nevertheless, it is extremely surprising. Oh, get this, everybody. Nevertheless, it is extremely surprising that these poor creatures, this, this author is referring to the indigenous peoples as poor creatures. Huh? I mean, <laughs> what? I mean, seriously? Ridiculous. Okay. Surprising that these poor creatures, oh, here comes another word, who, who haggle over every centimal. Okay, now this is starting to get insulting. He's saying that the indigenous people, they're all wrapped up in, in the penny, basically. They're all wrapped up in the cent, right? The colonia is the dollar here, so I guess the centimal is the cent, Mariella, basically equivalent to the United right. States cent. Okay, so this dude is saying these poor creatures who haggle over every centimo would not guide me to an 1800 foot high cliff with three balls on top, no matter how much I offered them. Boo-boo was an exception. Oh, boo-boo, yeah. Okay, boo-boo, you're a sellout to your people. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, boo-boo, you made a boo-boo. Okay, anyway, here we go. A German who has owned the pension Anna in San Jose for over 40 years is considered to be the man who possesses the most material about the balls. He pulled out many impressive pictures but behaved as if he had to keep the secret of some buried treasure. He showed me sketches of formations and groupings of balls, but refused to give their exact location. I was not even allowed to copy his sketches. Quote, no, it's out of the question, unquote, was his inevitable reply. Even if I had not known it beforehand, I should have realized during my stay in Costa Rica that there is a mystery about the stone balls. I could not solve it, but my suspicion increased that the prehistoric balls and all the pictures of them in reliefs and on cave walls are directly linked with the visit of unknown intelligences, of intelligences who landed on our planet in a ball. <laughs> okay, so here's where Von Donegan's coming from. I guess he's thinking that maybe the balls represent the vehicles that the extraterrestrials arrived on Earth at, uh, in millennia ago. Okay, but let me just read that again, and then we last chapter. Here we go. Even if I had known, even if I had not known it beforehand, I should have realized. I'm sorry, I, I went back. Okay, uh, I could not solve it. 
but my suspicion increased that the prehistoric balls and all the pictures of them in reliefs and on cave walls. I didn't know that there was paintings of the stone balls on cave walls. Did you know that, Mariella? Well, it's interesting because you have, probably you have more information or you had more information when you were in high school about the spheres than I had. And even my children, I asked them if, if they studied something and they didn't. You know, that's why, I'm sorry, everybody, why I read this. Again, I didn't know it was going to take so long, but I read this because, again, this is 1968, and for a lot of people reading this book, this, like myself, this is an introduction to Costa Rica. Like myself, a lot of people had never heard of, I mean, wasn't familiar with Costa Rica. So this is kind of a, I mean, the spheres are like an ambassador of Costa Rica. It always have been, right? We've, we've always known that. But here's literature, literature, uh, popular literature, right? Not Pulitzer Prize winning <laughs> or, or on the New York. I don't know if it was ever on the New York bestseller list. I really don't. Uh, well, you know, it says on the cover, the new worldwide bestseller. And I'm sure if it was on the New York best, it probably would have been said, but very pop both of these books very popular because again you can see you can see these theories that this guy is putting forth so here let, let me finish reading this okay so he says yeah i did you know that's kind of like the uh cro-magnon uh, uh, art wall drawings in caves in europe that's what it makes me think of when he says uh reliefs and on cave walls okay, okay so he says uh, and all the pictures of them in reliefs and on cave walls are directly linked with the visit of unknown intelligences, of intelligences who landed on our planet in a ball. They already knew and had proved that the sphere is the most suitable shape for inter interstellar space flights. One day in the not too distant future, the long journey back to the stars will start from our planet and probably in spherical spacecraft because the sphere is the most natural shape for the flight into the universe. Okay, everybody. So there you go. Here's, here's his theory that the balls are telling us that this is the shape of the spacecraft that extraterrestrials came here in the far past. Okay. The other stuff is cool, but that one there, I mean, that's that's out there, right? That but hey, hey, you, I mean, hey, I mean sphere is very low en energy efficient in in uh in moving. So everybody, uh this will never happen again reading something this long, but again, here's an example of literature. And as Mariella has pointed out, there's not a lot of knowledge about the spheres. And, and what we'll do next episode is we'll go through the PDFs of the authority, the head archeologist of the National Museum of Costa Rica. There are certain sections where the research involved trying to uh, theorize an astronomical connection uh, that the spheres had. This is a full-on research paper. Sophisticated computer software was used in this as part of the research in diagrams. You'll see 
So this is exactly what we're looking for. We're looking to see where the established knowledge on the spheres is at, at this point, because I believe we have something to add to that, which is that little slip of knowledge that we heard about from the Baruka as far as the spheres being uh, lunar calendars. So Mariella, in closing, is there anything you would like to say? Sure, I would like to, to recall or to mention that in that book, we, we well, you read, you could read um, history, science, religion, ancient civilizations, mathematics, and many things, right? That's a very interesting book. It is. You know, I'm sure you can you can you can find it on the internet. Uh, okay. I mean, it, there's you know, yeah, there's you can you can find anything on the internet, uh, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you can find it on electronic form, or you can order it. You can order it, and and again, it's called Gods from Outer Space. The mm -hmm. author is Eric Eric von Doniken. And he had a previous book called Chariots of the Gods, which I have not read. But it's such it's so interesting to look at a 1968 perspective right. of this of this author who traveled here to Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. And what's so intriguing is him talking about how nobody would tell him anything, right? Now mm -hmm. he said San Jose. So mm -hmm. he may not have known about the Baruca. Or the Bree Bree, right? He may not have known. He may not even known. Well, he did say where they were found, but he may not have known to travel. It sounds like he, when he said, he just says Costa Ricans, right? And uh, and in a very uncool way, he refers to the indigenous peoples, right? Right. Uh, right. I, I didn't pre. I don't didn't appreciate that at all, right? <laughs> I wonder what funny. I thought. I wonder that's what I thought because, when I because here in Costa Rica the culture some people treat the indians like that also like they are poor and they don't have any knowledge and they don't have money what you mean costa ricans treat other costa ricans right. that way especially indigenous right because of really because of stature totally. and all that ridiculousness right. oh that's see i mean it it's everywhere in the world even in costa rica that mentality uh, right. <laughs> and these indigenous peoples know more about the earth and nature of than course. we'll ever know, right? Yeah, they with all our technology. than most of us, actually. For sure, with all their technology. Mm -hmm. So, hey, you know what? On that note, everybody, again, next episode, we're going to go through these research PDFs and show you the effort and research that was done on these spheres. And there's a whole section devoted a mainstream archaeological astronomical point of view remember that okay and i haven't read it. see by the way these one of the, the main the, the pdf of the archaeologist is in spanish of course but and it has a, a special um uh security uh deal on it where you can't just copy and paste it into google translate so you have to type in all of it in the google translate so Mariella, I appreciate so much your uh, your um, uh, uh, willingness to sure. next week to, to translate for us some of the stuff in this document. Thank you so much. Sure, of course. Don't worry about it. 
Okay. And so everybody, what we're going to do in a future episode, we're going to get together a plan to approach the Baduka. Okay. We're going to come correct. Now, what I think this will involve is uh, uh, showing them maybe a package of our podcast, showing them how unique and utterly significant what they have, their culture is with respect to the rest of the world, right? And, and make it so the young generation get interested as well as the elders. And, and, and the elders, they're old school. So we will definitely have to come correct to them, right? We'll have to, Mariella, the, 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 the things about their culture that you've pointed out, uh, we're gonna become very knowledgeable so that I can, oh, and by the way, real quickly, their language, is it Spanish or is it, is it another no. language? It's another language. Totally different. Totally different. Oh, so it's not Costa Rican Spanish, East LA no. Spanish, Spain Spanish. Oh, no, that is that just is. too cool. So we will need a special interpreter. Okay. Right. All right. So we're going to set it in motion ahead of time, start gathering our materials as an introduction to the tribe you know, approach them in a respectful way and, 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 and get an audience with them. So, okay, everybody, it's two o'clock. We've hit the one hour mark. I don't want to get cut off like I did last week, right? <laughs> so everybody, thank you for joining us. And let me say in close, Mariella, thank you so much. Let me thank say you. in closing, you're welcome. Con mucho gusto. <laughs> All right. I love Spanish. Oh, thank you. Oh, that, oh, awesome. All right, everybody, tune in next week. Same fat time, same fat channel.